Good morning to everyone. Good to see you. If you're uh, visiting this week, I am uh, Pastor Roger, and uh, we're just excited you came to worship with us this morning. And if you don't know, we've been going through uh, the book of Ephesians, and uh, you know, Ephesians is a is a deep book. It's not an occasional book, and what I mean by that is there was nothing that prompted Paul to write it. He wasn't responding to some questions. He wasn't you know, writing because they were abandoning the gospel. Uh, this is a book that he was able to write thinking through what he wanted to say strictly for the reason of teaching and revealing the depth of the gospel and the truth that we have in Jesus Christ. And so this week, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, and we're talking about something here that Paul talks about the mystery, and it's about the mystery being made known. And this will be a theme that will kind of be ongoing through Ephesians now is this mystery that it wasn't taught in ages past, but now through Paul and the other apostles, through the New Testament message, God had revealed something new. And what he had revealed was just reality shifting. Have you ever learned something like that, some truth that it, it literally just changed your entire perspective on something? You know, that's one of the amazing things about truth like that is when you learn it, you can't unlearn it. How many of you ever wished you could unlearn something? <laughs> you know, you learned that truth and it was like, whoa, wait, wait a minute, because it, it affects everything. You know, I remember when I was in college, I uh, did some, uh, worked for a general contractor out at a, a train yard. And you know, anybody in here been around trains up close? You get a whole new respect for them. You know, you always hear, you know, you, you, the car, I mean, you know it'll just destroy a car and, I mean, all this kind of stuff, and you want to stay away from the train track because of how, you know, devastating a, a train accident can be. But I'm telling you, when you're working in a train yard with, you know, hundreds of cars, and they're coming through, and you've got to stand there and wait as it just goes by you, and there's one on the other side going the other way, and you're just like, don't move. Because one of these, if I take a wrong step, could literally take my head off right now. And you know what? It wouldn't slow down. <laughs> It'd just keep going. And so there was a truth that I learned while I was out there about the respect for, you know, basically what we could say is physics. And it, it really did change things. Like, I can't, I, I want to keep my distance from trains as much as I can now. Like, when I pull up and, and you know, the train's going through downtown... I don't like to pull the car right on up. I'm like, that thing derails. We need some time. <laughs> I want to be able to get out of here. And that's, you know, that's just a, a short, you know, kind of anecdote. What Paul tells us is that there's a mystery, there's a truth that is made known through the gospel that is earth-shaking, that is, is reality-busting, that, that changes everything when we really understand what he is saying. And so look with me in Ephesians chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, going to verse 6. It says, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, You can perceive my insights into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, 
as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers in the promise of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Now, what Paul does here is he starts, again, you remember the prayer that he had in chapter 1 that I told you he got distracted? He started praying. He's like, oh, by the way, I've got to teach you some of this stuff. And he's been off track now for a chapter and a half. And he starts out chapter 3, and he's trying to get back to his prayer. And once again, he pauses. All he got into the prayer this time was, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of Gentiles. He was about to get back to the prayer, and he says, wait, I'm assuming that you've heard my story. I'm assuming you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. You know why? Because Paul had a special calling in his life that we have to understand if we want to understand this book. Because who Paul is and what God had done really factored into his understanding of grace. And so let's talk for a moment about Paul's special calling, okay? Because he says, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship, he's telling us we need to know his story. So it's almost like his readers, if they hadn't heard his story, they needed to stop right there and get filled in. Now, how many of you have ever been watching a movie and you came in late? You needed filled in. How many of you are watching a movie and you didn't need filled in because the plot was obvious? Well, this was one, the plot was not obvious. It's obvious when we look back. It's amazing how hindsight is twenty twenty. We could go back to the Old Testament and we're like, oh yeah, God was talking about this all over the place. But at the time, nobody got it. And so Paul was one of the first because he says that there was a stewardship of God's grace that was given to him for us. And how the mystery was made known to me by revelation. Now that's an important concept we'll come back to. He says, I have written, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. See, Paul has a special knowledge and a special experience and a very personal experience in the gospel itself. God gave him revelation. What do I mean by that? Revelation means Paul was not taught the gospel. He received it directly from God. Paul did not think up this philosophy, the Christian philosophy. He wasn't making it up as he went along. It wasn't just a good idea he came up with. God gave it to him directly. He wasn't taught the gospel or the truths of God by somebody else. God taught him directly. And God gave him an abundance of revelation. And and so, let's talk about Paul's life. Of course, where did Paul start? He started out as, we read about Saul, uh, that was likely his first name, Saul, Paul, and whatever his last name was. But we read in Acts chapter 8, 1 through 3, about Saul being a persecutor of the church. A man who thought it was okay to murder people who disagreed with him theologically. Now, nothing says, I know God, the God of love, like saying, if you disagree with me, I want you dead. But that's who he was at the time. He thought he was following God. He thought, I have this, and I'm going to protect God. I'm going to protect the truth. And when the Christian church started to spread, he 
started using violence and imprisonment and even murder to stop the movement of the church of God. That was until one day in Acts chapter 9, he was on the road to Damascus and a bright light appeared and a voice spoke to him and it says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And I love the response. I just do. The response gets me every time I read it and I talk about it. Because Saul responds and says, who are you, Lord? You see, the truth is going to be there, and we can't deny it. He knew who he was talking to was bigger than him. He knew that, but at the same time, everything he knew now was being turned upside down. He thought he knew God, and he's figuring out, I don't know God. And he goes, who are you then, Lord? And he says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Now, can you imagine in that moment that you thought you were serving God and you found out you were working against him? What that must have done to him inside? He had devoted his life. He had devoted everything he had. He was literally the top dog in his culture of the people who were saying, yes, we follow God, we love God, and he was the guy that everybody else was like, I want to be like Saul because he has his stuff together. And it turned out he was completely wrong. But what happens? He believes he's made blind for three days. They come in, a man comes and prays for him, and he accepts Jesus Christ as Lord. He's born again, and he, the scales fall off his eyes, and suddenly he is reborn. And what happens? He immediately starts preaching Jesus. Now, imagine you're one of the people in Damascus. The church is now hiding because Saul's coming, and they know that this man is coming to arrest you, to beat you, to imprison you, and possibly even kill you. And, and all of a sudden, you see him out in public, and he's like, hey, y'all need to repent. Jesus is Lord. What? Y'all told me this guy was, was trouble. And he actually goes to the church and is like, hey, let me in. And they're like, no, no, no. No, I'm not. I'm not I don't want anything to do with you. But what happens is then God began dealing with him directly. And he began teaching him. And early in his ministry, Paul goes out into the desert for three years. And and he wrestles with God, literally, and learns and receives the gospel and receives the truth and receives visions of heaven and and visions of eternity. And and Paul says that I I saw visions that are not lawful to speak of. And, And so God gave him all of this knowledge and then gave him a calling to go out and preach the gospel to the Gentile world. Now, on Easter Sunday, we talked about this. The world was divided at that time between two groups. There were the Jewish people and the Gentiles. God dealt directly with the Jewish people. If you wanted to learn about God and you weren't Jewish, you had to go join the Jewish culture and listen to them. And yet, All of that changed in a moment. When Jesus Christ was resurrected and the Holy Spirit came, it was no longer just about the Jewish nation. It was about the kingdom of God and who was a member of the body of Christ. And so God gave Paul this calling to go into the Gentile world, a world of darkness, a world of of pagan spirituality, 
and to share the good news of Jesus Christ. In a world where there was polytheism, there were gods for everything, there was Zeus, there was Aphrodite, there was everything, there, there was paganism like we would have never seen in, in our world today. And he said, Paul, go out there and tell them all about me. And he did. And he began to travel the world. Now, tell me again, what is it that can change a person from persecuting the church to preaching the church in a matter of days? You see, this isn't just a new philosophy. This isn't just a new set of eyes. This isn't just, oh, okay, I, I made a mistake and I need to adjust a few things. Literally, he became a new person and was born again. He learned the truth of God, and it ch fundamentally changed him from the inside out. New mind, new heart, new values, new purpose in life, everything became different. And, and so this is why Paul says that the mystery was made known to him by revelation. Because God had not told anybody this stuff at this level. He says, you know, it was, it was only hinted at in the Old Testament. It was kind of a shadow. It was like, hey, this is, kind of, this is coming, but, but I'm not going to define it for you entirely. And then when Jesus came and then the Holy Spirit came, God explained all of it to his apostles. And so Paul says, now I have this mystery that has been revealed in a way that it wasn't in previous generations. And Paul is the walking proof of it. You see, if, if I were to come to you and say, hey, I have the key to physical fitness and health, and I'm limping, and I'm coughing, and I'm wheezing, are you going to listen to me? You're going to say, well, I think you need to use it, my man. If you got the key, go ahead. Be my guest. And so that's exactly what he did with Paul is he said, Paul, I'm going to take you through this and I'm going to show you everything so that when you teach people, you can say, look, I, I have experienced this firsthand. And he says, I know the mystery, I know who God is, and let me tell you why. And that's why he says, I'm assuming you've heard my story. Because if you haven't, then you won't understand my insight into what I'm talking about here. See, Paul's not making up something new. He's preaching a truth that wasn't previously known. And it's a truth that God has revealed. And that truth was so powerful that it fundamentally changed him. Listen to what he says in Galatians 1, 11 through 12. He says, for I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. And then in 1 Corinthians 15, 8 through 10, he says, Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. He's talking about his Damascus Road experience. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. And I love this. This is verse 10. Make this a life verse. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. 
So it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. You see, what Paul is telling us right here, he says, if you look at my life, you will see a testimony to the gospel that I preached. You will see the testimony. And it's a testimony that he doesn't cover up the bad parts. Wouldn't that be free? Let's let's not cover up the bad parts of our testimony. Let's speak the truth about what God has done in us. You see, Paul says, hey, I shouldn't be an apostle. He's like, I don't deserve it. I was, I was whore. I was a murderer. I was killing people and persecuting the church. This, I, I was full boring. I, I was completely wrong. He says, but by God's grace, I am what I am. God has called him and made him an apostle. And he's like, I'm not going to apologize for it. I don't deserve it, but I am what I am. And this is something that all of us, we need to adopt this into our own lives and, and hearts. By God's grace, we are what we are. God does not expect us to be perfect. But he does expect us to move, to move forward for him, to walk with him, and to be the person he called us to be by grace. And he will empower us to become that. That's what Paul means in this. He says, by But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. He says, but it wasn't me, it was God's grace within me. You see, Paul will take none of the glory for himself. Now, how is this important? Well, because Paul's life is a testimony to the very thing he's preaching. Salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. That that's it. Did Paul do anything to earn his salvation? No. What did he have to do? He had to believe. And he had three days of blindness to figure out in his mind whether he could believe that Jesus Christ was the Savior, that he had been crucified, he had been resurrected, and he was the risen Lord. He had heard the gospel, and now it was time for him to decide whether or not he would accept it. When he accepted it, God sent someone to pray for him, the scales fell off his eyes, and he was reborn. Listen, the gospel is that simple and that's the mystery that was the mystery is that it really is God wants us to be in his family by faith by faith that that God has done all the work all we have to do is believe it and receive it God doing all the work is called grace us receiving it and believing it is called faith and we are saved by grace through faith Now, Paul has already said that in Ephesians chapter 2. He has pointed that out to us. He says, we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. Remember that? We are his work of art. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works. And Paul says, the proof that I believed this wholeheartedly, the proof that God's grace was effective in my life is the life I have lived after I got saved. He says, just look at it. I worked harder than anybody. I am out there telling people about Jesus. Now, he's not doing it to say, hey, look at me. I'm awesome. He's saying, look at who I was and look at who I am now, and you will see the power of the grace of God. And you know what, church? We got to get back to that. We got to stop worrying about how entertained we are. We got to stop worrying about 
being, being some kind of corporate mega church franchise thing that we got going on in the world right now. And we got to just get back to, are we saved by grace through faith and are we living for him? That's what matters. Because faith and grace are what bring these reality-shifting moments to us. And some of you out there know what I'm talking about. You walk with God long enough, there are times God is going to just get so in your business that your entire life will change. And it's not just a salvation. Even as a Christian, you can serve Him for a long time. You can walk for years and God suddenly is like, okay, time for something new. Go. And God starts working. And God changes the board and God changes something. And, and you're never the same. And it's up to us to decide, am I going to pursue this? Am I going to walk in it? Or am I going to look back and long for the good old days where life was easier, when it really wasn't easier? Because we like to rewrite history. But you see, God's grace will so radically change us that how we view and interact with the world will also change. It is not just about self-help. It is not just about happiness. It is about the kingdom of God and what God is doing in this world. And Paul's going to get into this, and we will actually hint at it next week. But we are entering into a spiritual war when we walk with God. And trust me, the enemy is not going to ease up. And the American church has forgotten what spiritual warfare is about. We're either enamored by it and fascinated by it to the point that it's an idol, or we completely ignore it. And we've forgotten how to engage in spiritual warfare. You know who hasn't stopped engaging in spiritual warfare? is the enemy. He just sang us a lullaby and put us to sleep and then continued beating on us after we went to sleep. And so... What we have to do is understand we are dealing with powerful forces and spiritual things. And what has Paul already did? He's, what has already done? He started out in chapter 1 and said what? You are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. You see, Paul lays the foundation for us early in this book and says he's given you everything you could possibly need. He has raised you up and seated you in the heavenly place in Christ. You see, he lays the foundation of all that God has done for us so that he can tell us, now this is why you can work. This is why you can move. This is why you can make a difference in this world with the gospel because of what God has done for all eternity. He has worked. But here's the crazy thing about this is it's still not about us. How many of you have, and, and let's just have a real moment of honesty. How many of you are like, God, I want to be used by God, but I don't know that I'm smart enough, talented enough. I'm not, I'm not good enough at something. God, use me, but I don't. How? Well, you know what? That's the great thing about grace is it's not about us. It's not about our capabilities. It's not about our abilities. It's not about our intellect. It's not about anything like that. It's about the power of God at work within us. And so listen to what Paul says about this in Philippians chapter 3, beginning of verse 4. He says, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. 
circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. You know what that's called? That's called a resume. And too many people want the resume. They want to be able to say, look at all that I've done. And they think if they don't have the resume, God won't use them. And I'm telling you, I deal with this all the time. There are people that are like, well, yeah, but you're a pastor. I mean, this, you know, you have knowledge I just couldn't have. I'm like, yeah, you just right here. You want the knowledge I have? God's not going to hold it back. He won't. And let me tell you, some of the most brilliant theologians I've met were janitors. And I mean that. Absolutely brilliant who understood the things of God, it could go toe-to-toe with the, the best seminary professor out there and, and even call them out and tell them where they were wrong. And the man was brilliant. And you know what? You know what his ministry was? He cleaned the church and had coffee with me weekly. And he was such an amazing support to me that I was like, thank you, God, that there's someone like this out here. It was such an amazing thing. And, and so Paul, he says, look, I've got the resume. I've got the worldly resume. Here's what he thinks of that resume now. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. He says, you can take the resume and burn it. It doesn't mean anything. Because what means the most is knowing and serving Jesus Christ. You walk with him. You have the power of God with you. It's enough. Now, we've got to walk in truth, and that's what we're all working on. I mean, I assume we're here today because we want to learn and grow and walk in truth and develop and, and grow and get closer to God and, and represent him better. And, yes, we all have to do that consistently. And we don't ever arrive, but we can sure progress. You know, how many of you in here can say, you know, I'm not where I want to be, I'm not where I used to be. That's an amazing testimony to the power of grace right there. You know why? Because that's something we'll say for the rest of our lives. It's only when we cross over into heaven that we're going to say, okay, I made it. And you know what? When we say, I made it, you know what we're going to realize? I didn't make it. God did it. And whatever crown he puts on our head, we're going to take off and we're going to give back to him and say, no, this is yours. I don't deserve it. But it will all be good. And so, again, we can look at Paul's life as a sort of guide to understanding what he's saying here in Ephesians. Paul has learned something and experienced something so great that his entire value system, his entire worldview, his entire reality has shifted to something that it was not before. Reality has literally changed for him. And so what did he learn? He says, This was something in Ephesians 3, 5, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. What had been revealed? The gospel of Jesus Christ in all its glory and truth unlike anything that came before it. So take your favorite Old Testament story, whatever it is, Elijah and the priests of Baal, isn't that an awesome story? Moses parting the Red Sea. Take whatever amazing story in the Old Testament and understand it's just a small piece of the bigger story that points us 
to the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is all meant to run to that one place. And when the crucifixion happened, when the resurrection happened, and then the day of Pentecost, Paul is telling us that that is where we need to focus our faith. Everything else is to point us to that. Everything else is just fuel to get us to that place. And so the power of the gospel is displayed in Paul's life. It was displayed in Peter's life, in all of the apostles. And Paul includes that. He says it's been revealed to all of his holy apostles and the prophets through the Spirit. And so when the resurrection of Jesus occurred, and 50 days later the apostles received the gift of the Holy Spirit, everything changed. Because the truth was now known in all its fullness. Every one of the apostles who fled out of fear at the crucifixion, 50 days later suddenly had the courage, strength, and resolve to die for their faith. I want you to think about that. Every one of them was suddenly willing. Like they, the, the crucifixion happened and they're all like, we're out. They fled in fear. One of them naked. He's out. Run away. Peter denies Jesus three times. He's so afraid. And yet just 50 days later, they go out and they preach the name of Jesus on the day of Pentecost after the, all of this had just happened. And they're like, hey, what's going on? They said, oh, Jesus is back alive. And they said, hey, you, you read the book of Acts. And they say, hey, you need to stop preaching this name. And they say, hey, you judge for yourselves which is right to obey men or to obey God. We can't help but speak of what we have seen and heard. They're like, we're not stopping. And so what do they do? They beat him. And they sing hymns. And they're like, cool, beat us. Don't care. Still talking about Jesus. Doesn't matter. And they say, okay, we'll kill you. Oh, that guy died. Okay, he's, he's in heaven now. So we're, we're rejoicing that his faith has been made side. We're going to keep preaching Jesus. So more people go to heaven. It totally changed them. The only apostle who did not die a martyr's death was the apostle John. And it wasn't for lack of trying. He just didn't die. They boiled him in oil and he didn't die. So they just exiled him to Patmos and said, okay, you can't preach to anybody here. And while he's there, God gave him the book of Revelation, which is still impacting the world. See, the world cannot stop the power of God. And so all that we do is we can hamper it. And Paul will actually mention this later in Ephesians. We quench the spirit in our own lives. We're not going to stop. Nothing will stop his power in the world from accomplishing what he wants to accomplish. But we can quench the spirit in our own heart and not walk in the power of the gospel and thus make our own lives harder and not grow and become who God wants us to be. And what we see in the apostles is they put their faith in the risen Jesus and they experience the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's time for us to do the same today. Because it's the same Jesus, same spirit, same gospel, and the same result that guys like me are up on Sunday preaching, or at least I hope they're preaching. When we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we are born again. Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. I can't overemphasize the, the radical nature of what he's saying that is. 
When we are born again, we are literally remade. The old is gone. You're not that person anymore. And Paul understood that. That's why he says, I am what I am now. By the grace of God, he goes, I didn't deserve to be an apostle, but you know what? I am an apostle. It had nothing to do with my former life because I'm not that person anymore. I did persecute the church. Now I build the church. See what that is? That is that 180 that he has us do. It's called repentance, and it's empowered by the Holy Spirit, and we literally become a different person. And people didn't understand before. That is the mystery. They didn't understand before that this wasn't just one more step or, you know, a better philosophy or, or the, the nation of Israel ruling the earth. Or they, they had all these ideas about what God was going to do, and it ended up being completely different than what they thought. And so listen again to verses 1 through 5 before we get to the end of it. He says, For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace. That means he had a calling. Grace was given to him to steward for other people. The stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. How the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men and other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Because what he's wanting people to do is to pursue the new. You see, we have a decision to make. Are we going to pursue that new life, the things of the new life, the things that fit with the new life? Or are we going to continue to walk in old ways that are dead and unfruitful? Because we can. We can be born again and still walking in old ways which will make us ineffective in our faith, will make us ineffective in our witness, and will make us ineffective in, in the kingdom of God. That doesn't mean we're out of the kingdom of God. It just means we're riding the bench. While God is using the people who are willing to walk with him. And let me tell you, there are a lot of people on the bench with a resume that they're saying, God, why won't you use me? Because <laughs> you're relying on the resume. I don't need that resume. I need your faithfulness. I need your heart. Because what is this mystery? He gets to it, and it's simple. Listen to verse 6. He says, the mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. It almost seems so simple to us but at the time, the world was so divided and the racial divide between Jew and Gentile was so strong that to say that they're the exact same in God's kingdom was a revolutionary thing. And Paul's like, oh, yeah, that's, that's what it is. You're either in the kingdom or you're not. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what your race is. It doesn't matter what your gender is. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter what your resume is. It doesn't matter what your failures were. It doesn't matter what your successes were. You are either born again or you are not. Because what he says, the Gentiles are fellow heirs, which if you're an heir, that means you're a member of the family, equal standing, members of the same body. There are no second-class citizens in the church. In the body of Christ, all are equal. And look, there's a theology out there today called dispensationalism does not believe that. They believe that the church, the Gentiles, are second-class citizens, and that it's all about Israel. Paul seems to disagree with that here. 
And he says, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. It has nothing to do with our background, with our intellect, and has everything to do with the grace of God given through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Through him, Jew and Gentile become one in Christ Jesus. And what is this? This is a new humanity, a new people, a new kingdom, a spiritual kingdom, but a kingdom nonetheless that will last for all eternity. When heaven and earth are destroyed, there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And who's going to be there? This body of Christ. The body that he just described as being Gentile and Jew united in Jesus Christ, those are the ones that are going to be there, and those old distinctions will never be remembered again. And so if all of this is now true in a way that it was not before Christ, and I want you to listen to this, then that means that we have endless opportunities to experience God in new ways. Endless opportunities to experience God. If God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, isn't that what Paul said in chapter 1? Every spiritual blessing. Man, that sounds like a lot, right? He didn't just say, hey, I'm going to give you enough to get you through. If he has raised us up and seated us with Christ in the heavenly realms, if we have a new identity and the Holy Spirit living within us, and the Holy Spirit is the third person of God, this isn't some impersonal force. This is God living within us. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God in Trinity, three persons, one God, eternal mystery. Yet true. We have the Holy Spirit living within it. That means that the God is infinite, so that means an infinite experience of God already resides within us. Are you experiencing an infinite relationship with God? You see, I think the only reason we don't experience more is because I really believe we don't want to. I think we get happy with it. I think we, we get satisfied or, or we think it's got to look a certain way and so we're not willing to kind of let God open the door to a little bit more. Now, when I say a little bit more, I mean scriptural. God will not contradict his scripture. So I'm not talking something sinful and I'm not talking some new age weird thing. I'm, I'm scriptural, but still this is the infinite almighty God who is with us. And Paul has experienced it. Paul has seen things. Paul has experienced things. And that's why he's like, I'm assuming you know who I am because I actually have some authority to speak on this. If you know my story, then you know I'm not just making this stuff up. That I know what I'm talking about. And so we have endless opportunities to experience God in new ways. And whether this is through our experience of the Holy Spirit our experience with the body of Christ, our experience with the truth of God found in the scriptures, our experience of serving and building God's kingdom, or our experience of spiritual war, it's all a new and unique experience to, compared to what was before Christ. And it's up to us to walk in it. And that's my challenge for you today. Pursue the new. Look at your life and say, what, what am I doing that might belong more to the old life than it does the new? What attitudes might I have? What, what thoughts, what values, what might I have that belongs more to this world than it does to the kingdom? And pursue the kingdom. 
Now, I'm not talking about some kind of health and wealth thing. You pursue the kingdom. Trust me, the enemy is going to come after you. It's going to be spiritual war. I'm not saying it's going to be easy. I'm not saying it's all going to be roses and rainbows. My wife just said, hey, he said something different. I normally say kittens and rainbows. I saw her face. But it's not going to be easy, but it is always going to be worth it. It will always be worth it. Any new experience of God is that experience of truth that changes us. Every time. Every time. We cannot experience God and then back out of it. Right? How many of you can look back right now at a moment where God did something? You're like, yeah, I'm different. I'm different now. Like, I, I can't unlearn that. I can act like it didn't happen. I can pretend like I can rebel against it. But it's still the center point of a changed moment in my life. Well, every time we enter into that with God, he'll continue to do that. Now, I'm not saying every time it has to be this revival, this thing. But you know what? What if it's just that, hey, you know what? God did something, and I'm more patient now. Well, you know what? That's a good thing. You know why? Because patience is a fruit of the Spirit. That means you've encountered God, and God changed something. Or maybe you learned how to study the Scriptures. You're like, you know, I used to just kind of read through it, didn't get it. Now I've learned how to just kind of dive in and... I'm self-feeding now. I've learned how to ingest the scripture and chew on it. And guess what? You're different. God did something. You've changed. These are the changes that we've got to pursue in life. Because God is not going to force us to do it. He's not. You know why? Because it says he's already given us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. He's done it. He's given us everything. So it's just up to us now to appropriate it to believe it, to walk in it. He's given us his son. He's given us his scripture. He's given us his spirit. He's given us the blessings. Are we making use of them? Are we pursuing them? That's my challenge this week is to ask yourself, am I pursuing the, new, the newness of the kingdom of God? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for today. God, we thank you that you have so generously blessed us through your son, through your spirit, through your word, through your body. God, help us to see the richness of your blessings. Help us to know those spiritual blessings that maybe we have ignored or, or just not recognized. God, help us to know them better, to walk in them, to glorify you with our lives, God, that we would be your ambassadors. God, that we would understand the nature of the spiritual war we are in. And we would cling to you because you are good. We would search the truth so that we would not be deceived. And we would be your light and your salt in this world. That we could share your love and grace with those around us. Father, it's in Jesus' holy name we pray this together. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together.